Hey there, OrthoBullets podcast listeners. Today's episode of the OrthoBullets podcast is sponsored by Bullet Cards, which are now live on orthobullets.com and coming soon to the Bullets app. What are Bullet Cards, you ask? Well, they are basically modern flashcards backed by a powerful spaced repetition algorithm so you can learn more efficiently with the tried-and-true method, now modernized with AI. You can use our peer-reviewed pre-made flashcards to review critical information or make your own personal flashcards efficiently by creating a question and populating the back of the card with information from our trusted OrthoBullets review topics. Bullet cards are absolutely free, so there's literally nothing to lose and everything to gain. Click the links in our show notes to test out some high-yield bullet card decks and to learn more about how to get started with them. Without further ado, let's get into today's episode of the OrthoBullets podcast. This episode of the OrthoBullets podcast will go over the topic of the female athlete from the knee and sports section on orthobullets.com. Physiologic differences exist between men and women. Women have a higher body fat percentage, lower maximal oxygen consumption and hemoglobin, lower cardiac output, and decreased muscle mass as well as strength. With respect to athletic injuries, women have an increased incidence of patellofemoral disorders, stress fractures, and ACL injuries. With respect to ACL injury, the risk of injury is 2 to 10 times greater than males, especially with pivoting sports. ACL injury is more common in females due to landing biomechanics and neuromuscular control differences. Conditioning and strength play the biggest role. Females land with their knees in more extension and valgus due to hip internal rotation. ACL injury is also more common in females due to smaller notch sizes, smaller ACL size, cyclical hormonal levels, leg alignment, and they also have a genetic predisposition. With respect to cyclic hormonal levels, the ACL is at greater risk for injury during the first half, that is the pre-ovulatory phase, of the menstrual cycle. With respect to a genetic predisposition of ACL injury in females, there's an underrepresentation of the CC genotype of a CAL5A1 gene sequence in females with ACL ruptures. With respect to prevention, incidence of ACL injury can be reduced with neuromuscular training, specifically jump training. Now, let's talk about the female athlete triad, otherwise known as anorexia athletica. This is a condition seen in female athletes that consists of amenorrhea, insufficient energy availability, and osteoporosis. With respect to amenorrhea, this results from energy imbalance, low body fat, and hypothalamic pituitary axis changes. Secondary amenorrhea is cessation of menses for six months after at least one normal cycle, and this is often caused by hormonal disturbances. The incidence of amenorrhea in elite runners is nearly 50%. This leads to bone demineralization and stress fractures. With respect to insufficient energy availability, insufficient caloric intake is the most common cause of amenorrhea in female athletes. This may or may not be associated with an eating disorder. With respect to osteoporosis, make sure to obtain a DEXA scan in female athletes with a history of amenorrhea and stress fractures. With respect to treatment, a multidisciplinary approach should include psychological counseling as the core, specifically education and counseling for eating behaviors. Dietary management should begin by establishing an energy balance, specifically increased weight slash food intake and decreased exercise. There should also be an increase in calcium and vitamin D in the diet. Reduced training intensity and cross-training should also be done to decrease the risk of stress fractures. Calcium and vitamin D supplements should be taken for osteoporosis, 
and you may consider cyclic estrogens or progesterones in treating osteoporosis. Oral contraceptive pills may be beneficial in treating amenorrhea. With respect to pregnancy, keep in mind that this state involves increased estradiol, which leads to ligamentous laxity. Pregnancy also increases oxygen. And keep in mind that increased body weight leads to a 16 to 32% increase in oxygen consumption. Finally, let's briefly talk about Title IX, which is a law that states that no person in the United States shall, on the basis of sex, be excluded from participation in, be denied the benefits of, or be subjected to discrimination under any educational program or activity receiving federal financial assistance. Okay, so now that we've gone over the major points about this topic, let's go over a few questions to apply the information and get a sense of how this topic has been tested on past exams. The first question reads, Which of the following is not considered to be part of the constellation of the clinical entities known as the female athlete triad? And the choices are 1. Decreased bone mineral density 2. Menstrual dysfunction 3. Low energy availability with an eating disorder four, low energy availability without an eating disorder, and five, thyroid dysfunction. The correct answer to this question is five, thyroid dysfunction. So thyroid dysfunction is not one of the clinical entities included in the female athlete triad. The female athlete triad was coined in 1992 by the American College of Sports Medicine as a complex disorder more prevalent in the adolescent and young female athlete population, including decreased bone mineral density, menstrual dysfunction, and low energy availability with or without a concomitant eating disorder. Treatment should involve a multidisciplinary approach, including psychological and nutritional counseling for eating behaviors and dietary management, reduction of training intensity to decrease risk of stress fractures, and initiating calcium and vitamin D supplements for osteoporosis. Nazem et al. performed a systematic review of articles containing the female athlete triad, reviewing diagnosis via screening during physical examinations as well as laboratory and imaging evaluation for menstrual dysfunction, low energy availability, and low bone mineral density. They state that the potential complications include possible infertility, decreased immune function, cardiovascular disease, and irreversible loss of bone mineral density. They concluded that prevention, early recognition, and a multidisciplinary treatment team with a focus on proper nutrition and natural return of menses is vital. Nativ et al. reviewed the position of the American College of Sports Medicine regarding the female athlete triad, including screening for the triad at the pre-participation physical and discouragement of unhealthy weight loss practices. Essential members of the multidisciplinary treatment team include a healthcare professional, a registered dietitian, and a mental health practitioner. They endorse that the first aim of treatment for any triad component is to increase energy availability by increasing energy intake and reducing exercise energy expenditure. Moving on to the next question. All of the following conditions are associated with the female athlete triad except, and the choices are one, amenorrhea, two, osteoporosis, three, low LDL levels, four, decreased immune function, and five, insufficient caloric intake. The correct answer to this question is three, low LDL levels. So all of the choices listed are associated with the female athlete triad except for low LDL cholesterol levels. In fact, these patients often have elevated levels of LDL due to the hypoestrogenism caused by menstrual dysfunction. 
To quickly review, the female athlete triad is an interrelationship of menstrual dysfunction. For example, amenorrhea or oligomenorrhea, as well as low energy availability, that is insufficient caloric intake for demand with or without an eating disorder, and decreased bone mineral density. It is relatively common among young women participating in sports. Most recently, it has been suggested that endothelial dysfunction also results due to an imbalance between vasodilating and vasoconstricting agents triggered from inappropriate levels of nitric oxide on the microscopic level, which predisposes these women to atherosclerotic changes and increases their risk of cardiovascular disease in the future. Matheson et al., analyzed cases of 320 athletes with bone scan positive stress fractures. There were 145 males and 175 females seen over 3.5 years and assessed the results of conservative management. They found that conservative treatment of stress fractures in athletes is satisfactory in the majority of cases. Constantini et al. evaluated the prevalence of vitamin D insufficiency and deficiency among young athletes and dancers. They found a higher rate of vitamin D insufficiency among participants who practice indoors during the winter months and in the presence of iron depletion. Nazem et al. reviewed the major components and health consequences of the female athlete triad as well as strategies for diagnosis and treatment of the conditions. They concluded that treatment requires a multidisciplinary approach involving healthcare professionals as well as coaches and family members. Yagi et al. followed 230 runners participating in high school running teams for a total of three years to report occurrence of medial tibial stress syndrome and stress fracture. The authors reported a significant relationship between BMI, internal hip rotation angle, and medial tibial stress syndrome in females. Moving on to the next question. A 15-year-old female who is an avid runner has started developing increasing pain along her right leg. She indicates that the pain has developed in the past few months and has progressed in the past few weeks to where she cannot tolerate weight-bearing on the limb. She runs approximately 10 miles per day and is set on a collegiate running career. She notes that her menses began at age 11, but she has not had a menstrual cycle for three months presently. She denies sexual activity. On examination, she is exquisitely tender over the right tibia at the level of the middle to distal third. Radiographs reveal thickening of the anterior cortex of the tibia on the lateral x-ray. Which of the following should be included as part of this patient's management? And the choices are 1. Observation with continuation of physical activity. 2. Discontinuation of running with weight-bearing in a cam walker. 3. Intramedullary nailing of the tibia. 4. Casting of the affected lower extremity. And 5. Discussion of eating habits and training regimens. The correct answer to this question is 5, discussion of eating habits and training regimens. So based on the history, clinical presentation, and the radiographs presented, the patient has developed a stress reaction of her anterior tibia. This is consistent with the diagnosis of female athletic triad. The next step needs to include a multifaceted treatment approach that includes psychological counseling, review of dietary intake, and addressing her training habits that put her at risk for developing a stress fracture. The female athletic triad consists of menstrual dysfunction, disordered eating, and premature osteoporosis, and is most commonly seen in female athletes involved in running and gymnastics. Elite runners carry an incidence of amenorrhea that is close to 50%. Hormonal dysfunction, particularly with estrogen progesterone leads to a loss of the protective effect against osteoporosis, and stress fractures can subsequently occur. 
Khan et al. discuss injuries that affect ballet dancers, with turnout and forcing turnout being two of the most important physical attributes of ballet that lead to stress-related injuries. Common injuries include stress fractures of the second metatarsal, patellofemoral issues, and shin pain from stress fractures or chronic exertional compartment syndrome. Non-operative modalities are usually effective, including therapy to maintain strength-slash-range of motion, as well as nutritional advising sessions. Bruckner et al. discussed the management of stress fractures in female athletes. They indicate the importance of delineating the history of pain and its relation to exercise. MRI is often the advancing imaging test of choice. Most stress fractures will heal with rest from aggravating activity. Activity should be maintained during this rest period in the form of non-weight-bearing activities. Moving on to the next question. A 21-year-old female college athlete sustained a stress fracture of the fifth metatarsal one year ago, which was treated successfully with surgical stabilization, and she returned to normal activities. She now has a tension-sided femoral neck fracture. Along with surgical fixation of the fracture, what is the next step in management? And the choices are 1. Obtain a menstrual history. 2. Advise the athlete never to compete in high-level endurance sports again. 3. Obtain serum calcium levels. 4. Obtain a psychiatric consultation. And 5. Recommend changes in training intensity. The correct answer to this question is 1. Obtain a menstrual history. So stress fractures can be seen in female athletes who develop the female athletic triad, including amenorrhea, osteoporosis, and eating disorders. Any female athlete with a history of stress fracture should undergo a workup for this disorder. Workup should include obtaining a menstrual history, obtaining a nutritional consultation, and obtaining a bone density. When properly counseled, these athletes may return to high endurance sports activities. Although these athletes may require a change in training intensity or psychiatric consultation, it would not be the next step in management. Psychiatric consultation may not be necessary unless an eating disorder has been diagnosed. Serum calcium levels are normal in these patients. Tension-sided stress fractures of the femoral neck require surgical stabilization with internal fixation as opposed to compression-sided stress fractures that can be treated with rest and non-surgical management. Moving on to the next question. An 18-year-old female Marine Corps recruit enters basic training. Her enlistment history and physical examination showed that she was an elite high school cross-country runner. What is her most significant risk factor for a femoral or pelvic stress fracture during basic training? And the choices are 1. Running mileage during the two months prior to basic training. 2. Self-rated fitness. 3. Running frequency during the two months prior to basic training. 4. No menstrual bleeding during the year prior to basic training. And 5. Race slash ethnicity. The correct answer to this question is 4. No menstrual bleeding during the year prior to basic training. So approximately 5% of female recruits incur a stress fracture during the 13 weeks of Marine Corps basic training. Approximately 40% of these were femoral or pelvic stress fractures that were more severe than in civilian athletes or male military recruits. Only women who reported no menses during the previous year had a greater likelihood of femoral or pelvic stress fractures than did women who reported 10 to 12 menses. Studies have not found a statistically significant increase in the risk of stress fracture in those recruits who had lesser menstrual irregularities in the year prior to recruit training, but there was a trend toward increased risk of stress fracture. Moving on to the next question. 
After normal menses has begun and in the absence of pregnancy, secondary amenorrhea is defined as which of the following? And the choices are 1. Increase in menstrual volume for 3 months. 2. Absence of menstrual bleeding for 6 months. 3. Excessive pain during menstrual bleeding for 2 months. 4. Absence of menstrual bleeding in the month following peak training intensity. And 5. Decrease in menstrual volume for 2 consecutive months. The correct answer to this question is 2. Absence of menstrual bleeding for 6 months. So secondary amenorrhea is defined as the absence of menstrual bleeding for six months or the absence of three to six consecutive menstrual cycles after normal menses has begun. The prevalence of amenorrhea among female athletes is estimated at 10% to 20% in women who exercise vigorously and as high as 40% to 66% in elite runners and professional ballet dancers. Moving on to the next question. A 16-year-old gymnast is diagnosed with a female athletic triad. Which of the following treatments is the least appropriate management? And the choices are 1. Calcium and vitamin D. 2. Oral contraceptive pills. 3. Reduced intensity of training. 4. Bisphosphonates. And 5. Psychological counseling. The correct answer to this question is 4. Bisphosphonates. So bisphosphonates are the least appropriate step in management of the female athlete triad. The female athlete triad consists of eating disorders, amenorrhea, and osteoporosis. Treatment should consist of 1. Consultation with a psychiatrist or psychologist for counseling to deal with self-esteem issues and eating disorders. 2. Training should be limited until menses resume. And 3. Supplemental vitamin D and calcium should be initiated as well as consideration of oral contraceptive pills. Nativ et al. examined the relationship between the components of the triad and how the disorder may lead to significant morbidity and even mortality. Sabatini argues that the components of the triad are linked pathophysiologically and emphasizes the importance of a multidisciplinary treatment approach, with psychological counseling being the core. Moving on to the next question. The term anorexia athletica refers to a problem whose criteria include all of the following except... And the choices are 1. Gastrointestinal complaints. 2. Restriction of caloric intake. 3. Presence of an affective disorder. 4. Weight loss. And 5. Menstrual dysfunction. The correct answer to this question is 3. Presence of an affective disorder. So anorexia athletica is a newer term that may generally replace the triad of disordered eating, menstrual dysfunction, and osteoporosis. True osteoporosis is actually relatively uncommon in the female athlete, and thus the traditional diagnostic criteria are rarely met. In anorexia athletica, multiple signs and symptoms are used to reach the diagnosis. Specifically, however, a diagnosis of anorexia athletica requires the absence of any affective disorder, such as depression. Moving on to the next question. A 20-year-old female collegiate volleyball player presents for her yearly physical examination. While obtaining the history, the patient reveals that she has not had menses for six months. On physical exam, no major abnormalities are noted, but she has a Baton score of four. Compared to her teammates, which of the following conditions is this patient at greatest risk for? And the choices are one, a stress fracture of the tension side of the femoral neck, 2. Femoral head collapse, 3. An ACL tear, 
4. An anterior labral tear, and 5. A cam deformity of the proximal femur. The correct answer to this question is 1. A stress fracture of the tension side of the femoral neck. So with secondary amenorrhea, athletes are at risk for developing stress fractures. To quickly review once again, the female athlete triad consists of amenorrhea, disordered eating, and osteoporosis. Exercise-induced amenorrhea occurs in athletes with variable frequency, but the incidence varies from 5 to 25% depending on the level of competition and the type of sport. They are at risk for osteoporosis and stress fractures. Though bone loss in hypoestrogenic athletes with secondary amenorrhea is well known, these patients may never reach their peak bone mass. These patients may enter adulthood with what may be an irreversible bone mass deficiency. Neither calcium nor increased physical activity can compensate for the deficit in bone mass. Stress fractures may be found in weight-bearing cortical bones such as the tibia, metatarsals, and femur. They are not usually found in trabecular bone. The Baton Hypermobility Scale defines joint hypermobility, and a score of greater than 5 out of 9 is diagnostic. Warren performs a review of exercise-induced amenorrhea. He reports that some athletes may present with stress fractures. They report that athletes with menstrual irregularities not only have a higher incidence of stress fractures, but also multiple stress fractures. They conclude that it's important to assess eating patterns in these patients as they are often abnormal and stress fractures may be seen in patients without reproductive problems. Rankin et al. performed a case control study to determine if there is a generalized loss of bone mass in amenorrheic athletes compared with eumenorrheic athletes. They found that amenorrheic athletes had significantly lower bone mineral density in the lumbar spine, femoral neck, trochanter, intertrochanteric region, femoral shaft, and tibia. They concluded that extended periods of amenorrhea may result in low bone density at multiple skeletal sites, including those subjected to impact loading during exercise. Moving on to the next question. An 18-year-old female cross-country runner presents with right leg pain for two months. Her body mass index is 16, and her last menses was seven months ago. She reports that she had a benign tumor removed from her left ovary three years ago. Her urine pregnancy test is negative. She denies constitutional symptoms. She's tender along the tibial crest and is neurovascularly intact in the extremity. A T1 MRI of the tibia reveals a tibial stress fracture. What is the most likely etiology for her presentation? And the choices are 1. Neurofibromatosis type 1. 2. Osteofibrous dysplasia. 3. Poor caloric intake. 4. Formation of a fusion protein, EWSFLI1 and 5. Focal fibrocartilaginous dysplasia. The correct answer to this question is 3. Poor caloric intake. So this female athlete presents with a tibial stress fracture shown on an MRI, a low BMI, and secondary amenorrhea. Insufficient caloric intake caused by either a poor diet or an eating disorder is the most common cause for the loss of menses in a female athlete. Secondary amenorrhea is defined as the cessation of menses for six months after at least one normal cycle. The female triad includes amenorrhea, disordered eating, and osteoporosis, which may result in stress fractures. Benell et al. performed a level 2 study of 53 female and 58 male track and field athletes. Over one year, they found a 21% incidence of stress fractures in their athletes. Significant risk factors for stress fracture in female athletes included lower bone density, a history of menstrual disturbance, 
less lean mass in the lower limb, a discrepancy in leg length, and a lower fat diet. Moving on to the next question. A 26-year-old long-distance runner presents with insidious onset of hip and groin pain. An MRI of her hip shows marrow edema in the inferior aspect of the femoral neck consistent with a stress fracture. Workup should include evaluation for which of the following conditions. And the choices are 1. Osteoporosis. 2. Anorexia. 3. Secondary amenorrhea. 4. Answers 2 and 3. And 5. All of the above. The correct answer to this question is 5. All of the above. So an evaluation of eating disorders, osteoporosis, and amenorrhea should be performed in a young female athlete who presents with a stress fracture. The term female athlete triad consists of disordered eating, secondary amenorrhea, and osteoporosis, which often manifests as a stress fracture. Treatment includes a multidisciplinary approach including psychological counseling, dietary management, training modifications, calcium and vitamin D supplements, and possibly oral contraceptive pills. Barrow et al. looked at menstrual irregularity in female athletes. Stress fractures occurred in 49% of the very irregular runners, 39% of the irregular runners, and 29% of the regular runners. 47% of the amenorrheal group admitted to an eating behavior disorder. Moving on to the next question. The female athlete triad refers to those athletes with amenorrhea, osteoporosis, and what other entity? And the choices are 1. Eating disorder, 2. Stress fractures, 3. Ligamentous laxity, 4. Increased rates of ACL tears, and 5. Hirsutism. The correct answer to this question is 1. Eating disorder. So the female athlete triad refers to the combination of disordered eating, amenorrhea, and osteoporosis. This disorder often goes unrecognized and can affect many female athletes. The consequences of lost bone mineral density can be devastating for the female athlete. Premature osteoporotic fractures can occur and lost bone mineral density may never be regained. Early recognition of the female athlete triad can be accomplished with an integrated intervention between the family physician, coaches, parents, and the patient. Often these patients first present to the orthopedic surgeon or team physician for management of an osteoporotic fracture. Instituting an appropriate diet and moderating the frequency of exercise may result in the natural return of menses. And moving on to the final question, women athletes have a higher rate of ACL tears than male athletes in the same sport. While the cause is likely multifactorial, which of the following factors has been shown to contribute most significantly to this observation? And the choices are 1. ACL size, 2. Estrogen levels, 3. Neuromuscular coordination and training, 4. Intraarticular knot size, and 5. Valgus leg alignment. The correct answer to this question is 3. Neuromuscular coordination and training. So there are many theories to account for the increased incidence of ACL tears in women athletes. While each of the answers may contribute, recent studies have shown that differences in the level of neuromuscular training and coordination play the most significant role. This is a potentially modifiable factor and jump training and plyometric conditioning programs have been shown to decrease the rates of ACL injury in women. 
The Griffin and Harmon papers are reviews by experts in ACL injury, which list all of the answers as contributing factors to increased ACL injury rates seen in women athletes. Of these, neuromuscular imbalances were felt to be both the most significant and of particular interest because they are potentially modifiable. The article by Zebis et al. states that neuromuscular training increased EMG activity for the medial hamstring muscles, thereby decreasing the risk of dynamic valgus. This observed neuromuscular adaptation during side cutting could potentially reduce the risk for non-contact ACL injury. That's all for this review about the female athlete. Hopefully that was helpful. This is the OrthoBullets podcast, a daily audio review session by OrthoBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for orthopedic surgery education. Keep in mind that these podcasts are designed to go along with the topics on orthobullets.com, and in fact, you can listen to these episodes right on the OrthoBullets website or mobile app while going through the topic. If you've gotten any value from the OrthoBullets podcast so far, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Also, if you aren't already, be sure to follow OrthoBullets on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube for daily high-yield content. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you all tomorrow right here on the OrthoBullets podcast.